Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. And what's good? What's good? Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark. This is GC Live, Gamecock Central Live, brought to you by Affordable Medical USA. You can find them at affordablemedicalusa.com. They are, of course, home of the game day chair, the absolute best way to watch the game at home. Get your own game day chair at affordablemedicalusa.com, or if you're on YouTube or listening on the podcast version, just click the link in the show summary It'll take you straight to the game day chair, or you can give them a call at 803-926-1493. They are our primary sponsor here of GC Live and make the show, uh, the daily part of this show possible. So, of course, appreciate them. And we appreciate our new sponsor, Dead Soxie, who we will tell you a little bit more about later on in the show as we continue to break down South Carolina versus Texas A&M. This Saturday night, Williams-Brice Stadium, and really what is a key matchup for South Carolina, a key game, I mean, right off the bat, it never ends. It doesn't stop, Chris, this all-SEC schedule. We've talked about it ever since we knew this was going to be the case, but there's there's no let-up, man. There's no sort of get-right um, opponent. Obviously, South Carolina had the bye week to sort of 
you know, maybe focus on some fundamentals, get back to, uh, you know, basics in some cases. But as far as opponents go, you're right back playing in the SEC and an underdog for South Carolina, which they have been pretty much uh, every year they've played A&M during the Muschamp era. Yeah, typically been close. You know, and as we talk about often, man, you got to let every game stand on its own. You know, just because a game has traditionally been close between two teams, a lot of times you end up seeing that sort of streak being broken. But there's some reasons to think that if South Carolina plays up to its capability, which is a question because they did not last week, obviously, or last game against LSU, that this one could be close, you know. Um, And some of the same sort of cast of characters – that we've seen at Texas A&M, namely Kellen Mond, obviously. Jimbo Fisher's still the coach there, so similar offensive style. So in some regards, we know what they're going to bring to the field. You know, we know what they're going to bring to this game. We don't know which sort of version, I guess, of South Carolina that we're going to see. And there's obviously, as we've continued to dig into this matchup more and more, man, we talked about it during yesterday's show, there's a lot to be concerned about in terms of what A&M can do the challenges that they can present but uh I do expect a game that's you know highly competitive and and that's that's what we've seen most of the year for South Carolina with the exception of the LSU game where it got out of hand um South Carolina has been competitive against other components uh, components opponents rather and I think you nailed it yesterday you've got sort of teams at the top of the SEC and maybe if you want to go more in a broad sense, maybe at the top of college football, and then everybody else is going to be fairly closer. You know, in the SEC, you're going to get some outlier games. You know, um, I don't know that anybody saw Auburn whipping LSU last week. I don't know that anybody saw LSU whipping South Carolina the week before. Um, but generally, South Carolina should be able to stay in the ballpark with the teams that they play, and they've done that this year with the exception of the LSU game. So it'll be really fascinating, I think, to, to watch this one play out. Yeah, and I don't normally, Chris, especially when it comes to injuries, don't really like to speculate on rumors and stuff like that. But it, it is out there. It's on our message board. It's on other message boards. We're being asked about it on here. Um, yes, there there is a rumor Jamar Brown has another injury. Um, I've heard it. Obviously, several people elsewhere have heard it. Um, cannot confirm that right now. Um, you know, I have heard it from places other than just online. So take that for what it's worth. But we obviously will wait and see uh, what the actual status is there from Will Muschamp. And and there's some talk that um, that Eric Shaw has been playing some defense in practice. I've I've heard that um, both the rumors online and I've heard it elsewhere. And I'll just say we'll, we'll put it like this. Um, I would say that it's a situation, and Kyle says that Conager reported on JB and Goldwater. Well, the part of that I heard, Conager said exactly what we just said, that he had heard it, but it was not confirmed. Um, obviously, not, obviously not confirmed by the school at this point. So we'll, we'll just sort of leave it at that. But as far as Eric Shaw, um, let's talk about it just as a hypothetical because I, I, I do have reason to believe that's true. And – that's always been a guy. I mean, I, I remember Chris, Greg Ladke, who does Rivals.com, a lot of their vi- our video stuff, and he's all around. He sees a bunch of different guys. I remember him being at that, that Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game, and Shaw was playing defense at that. 
and being like, dang, this is the guy who looked like a five-star prospect. If you just put your eyes out there and didn't know who was ranked what, um, alongside another five-star kid, you would have you would have said Shaw was the guy that looked like the five-star. Now, I had heard some very strong early indications on Shaw just athletically, some things he had done in practice as far as being an athletic mismatch, making some plays on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I think if, if you look at that, it, it makes sense from a skill set standpoint. We'll see if this is a long-term thing. We'll see if this is an, frankly, an emergency thing right now. If you know, if, if Brown is at linebacker, then and and you know, I, I think Shaw is more of a future if he's on the defensive side. Future sort of buck. You want his pass rush juice getting after the quarterback. But we've seen this staff in the past when when you start to get banged up at spots or when you're looking for a particular skill set at a position, you, you move guys around it and try to find it. So. I I don't know, you know, I, I think it's true, but even with it being true, we don't know, does that mean we're going to see it on the field this year, or is it more like a sort of, let's go ahead and start this for the future, you know? Right, and and that is the key question. You know, the fact that he's there in a huge shot, we, uh, the moment he enrolled, well, we knew we, they loved him during recruiting, South Carolina staff did. I remember exactly what you're talking about with Lackey during that Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. You know, Shaw had a great week. He had a great game. Uh, the the other five-star that you referenced was Alabama signee Demoy Kennedy, who, as you said, was a five-star kid. And Shaw was the guy that flashed, at least that week, even more than him. And so we knew that when he got to South Carolina, athletically, he had a lot of just almost freakish traits. When he looked at his size profile, the frame to get bigger, he's got a huge hand size. This is something I've thrown out in the past, and, and whether he's a tight end or defensive end, short or long-term, but, you know, they recruited him as a tight end originally. And Eric Shaw's hands coming out of high school were bigger than, like, nine of the first ten tight ends that were taken in that year's that year's NFL draft. So, you know, hand size is one of those weird things that sometimes when you get a certain size hand, you just end up getting freak athletes. And so uh, we always sort of joked after they signed Eric Shaw from what we were hearing inside the program that there's going to be some fights between the offensive and defensive staff, right, about, you know, which side of the ball is he going to end up being on? Is one side going to try to fight for him? And uh, obviously either side would really like to have him. So I do think it's interesting that, you know, you've been hearing that, Wes, about moving him over to defense and seeing what he can do. Does that mean he's going to go play a ton of snaps this weekend? I would not think so. Um, whether it's a short-term stopgap or whether it's something they look at in the future, athletically, he can do it. This isn't like a square peg, round hole type thing, right? I mean, it's not like this guy doesn't fit there. If, if they choose to put him on that path for the future, he's got a chance to be really good, and I feel the same way about tight end, too. Yeah, Cartwright asked, uh, I'm confused, what is the buzz about Shaw? Buzz being that he's been working at at defense some in practice, um, working in there as sort of a pass rush buck type guy. Um, I think, for what I've heard, again, you you don't get a whole lot out of of practice at at this place these days, but um, that is floating around out there. And generally, I don't, like I said, I don't really like to deal with speculation, but because we have heard it elsewhere and because it makes so much sense, and because it's something that's always been mentioned, it's worth talking about. And 
Another question, does that mean good things for the tight end position for other guys, namely Jaheim Bell and Kevion Mullins? And, I mean, Chris, I think they're – and we'll see. I know, you know, Muschamp said Mullins, uh, you know, they're projecting to have him back this week. We'll see. I, I mean, I know how ankles can be, so we'll see on Saturday. But if you want to talk about that position more the rest of the year and even down the line – future of that position I, I think they've been very happy with what they've seen out of Mullins his progression there we saw two big plays from him as a mismatch at the tight end position against LSU and then you know we we, we all saw what Jaheen Bell could do athletically in high school you start to hear some buzz about him now that he's back and, and healthy and able to go practice and and get in there it's going to be a question does he see the field or how quickly does Jaheim Bell see the field? But to me, there's always two things at play, and this is where fans sometimes get frustrated. It's first question is what can this guy do athletically compared to his teammates and opponents? The next question is, is he ready You know, to go do it, either from a size, strength, development in that sense standpoint or just from knowledge and comfort level and timing and all those things and it's not like ncaa football it's not a video game where you can just plug the guy in and go pray you know it's kind of you have to you have to develop trust and timing and all those things but let's say from a at least a skill set standpoint i think jaheem bell has all the things carolina's looking for and then i think with mullins you would say from a skill set standpoint, and we're starting to see before he got banged up and rolled the ankle, you're starting to see it from a comfort level, trust, um, you know, actually on the field standpoint. Yeah, you know, we know Mike Bobo likes to utilize tight ends in, in his offense. And I think back to at Georgia, you know, when he had a couple guys in Aaron White and Orson Charles that really – sort of played off each other and they were two different types of tight ends. I think when you look at someone like Jaheim Bell, he fits into that Orson Charles type and Kevion Mullins too, that Orson Charles type of role where they can be sort of a flex tight end. They can be a mismatch in the, in the passing game. You know, uh, is Jaheim Bell going to be a guy that you line up in line a ton and ask him to go block defensive ends? No. You know, but he can definitely be a guy who can do some things in the passing game. You align him certain ways, he becomes difficult to count in terms of how you're covering him. Are you asking a linebacker to cover him in man? If so, that's probably going to be a mismatch. Are you losing him in zone? You know, that can happen too. And so um, with Bell and Shaw, they're both guys that were, were pretty highly touted in coming in coming in the staff was excited about him and there was a thought that they would have a chance to contribute this year there are a lot of bodies in that tight end room um but not a lot of proven guys beyond nick muse who, who even just had one year in the game you know with the gamecocks last year not even in this offense so uh, the the issue for them just recovering from injuries you know bell had the knee shaw had the bone spurs and we'll see what happens with him on, on a long-term basis but these are both guys going more back to Bell now that missed, I don't know, six, eight weeks when you're know, going back to the OTA period into preseason. And so that puts you behind, especially as a freshman in a new offense. You know, it's it, 
they're young players. They've got learning to do, but athletically you really like what they bring to the field. And that's, you know, the exciting part if they can continue coming along. We've seen Mullins, you know, flash against LSU and in other situations. And I think if Bell gets an opportunity at some point, um, he's got a chance to help too. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly see. And it's all what you always want to be talking about guys in the wings. Now, again, fans, I, I get it. The fan base, you, you read about these guys from us and other websites and you hear about what they can do. And you naturally, you're like, I, I want to see them on the field. I want to see what they can do. And yeah. you'll see some, some freshmen can, can do that. They're, they're right back on the, they're right on the field, right off the bat. But sometimes we lose sight of how difficult I think that actually is to just go out there at this level and, and just play and, and just go do it. So um, I think we need perspective when it comes to all these guys. And it, it is, I, I mean, I'll admit it, it's at the point of the season, though. You start looking at the second half, you know, you need more playmakers, you need more pass rush. Yeah, I, I get it. I would, you know, if I'm a fan, I'd sort of be like, hey, where, where are these guys as well? So we'll see. I, I think it'll be interesting. And some of these guys we're talking about, you know, a Luke Doty maybe getting some more snaps at quarterback, stuff like that. Some of these situations, fans will probably end up happy. They're going to see it. And some of these situations, we've, we've all seen it. You and I will be sitting here talking about it, and it's going to be a possibility. But then you see how a game plays. It's, it's a lot of times determined by how a game actually plays out and flows as far as which of these game plan aspects they get to within the confines of that football game. Yeah, and, you know, I I think you look at – when you talk about integrating Luke Doty, I think there's room to continue bringing him along. Um, And we don't need to go back and really like, well, he should have played more in this game, that game. Those games are over. So we got to talk about what can he do – starting even this weekend. And I think he's got his feet wet a little bit out there. Probably an opportunity for him to continue progressing and seeing his role increase. Maybe even let him go out and you let him throw a pass. They have a package for him. It's been discussed. Um, Can he go out there and run the whole offense right now? Um, There would be some limitations to that. you got to think about Mike Bobo's offense. You know, does have some complexities to it. I mean, they they put some things on the quarterback there that not that Luke can't do it, but there aren't many freshman quarterbacks that come in anywhere, no matter the talent, no matter how smart they are, and they just get every single thing thrown at them at once. They're a first year player in college. The game's very fast. And so they brought Luke along slowly in that regard, but athletically, he's on another level, obviously, than Colin Hill or, or Ryan Helensky. So, um, you know, he can get in there. Certainly he can run the ball. There's probably some opportunities for him to pass the ball as well. And so that, that to me, is one of the most interesting things to continue watching going forward. How, how much more does he play? Is it down around the red zone a little bit more when space is sort of constricted? Do you give that element? there? That's where we've seen him, right, already. I think the Vanderbilt game and LSU, we saw him down closer to enemy territory. So is it even more of that? Is it more of the same? Or are there even some opportunities, you know, earlier in the game or in different situations to get him in there? So be really interested to see that. And then what they do with other personnel moves. You know, are there some other guys, whether it's a Jaheim Bell, um, that that steps in offensively and gets some more opportunities? Yeah, all, all will be very interesting to see going forward. Um, as I said, we've got AggieYell.com's 
Mark Passwater's coming up here shortly. Chris, uh, before we do that, we already told everybody a little bit about the game day chair earlier in the show. So let's let's switch gears. Tell everybody a little bit about Dead Soxy. Do you got your Dead Soxy socks with you? Yeah, I mean, it, it was so controversial yesterday. So uh, <laughs> keep in mind the, about the colors, guys, that these uh, the, the lighting's a little different. But these are sort of a blue color. And, uh, yeah, can you see these? Yep. And these are the no-shows. And then they also have their boardroom uh, sort of dress sock. The cool thing about these, they're super premium material. They are advertised as buttery soft, and at first I was like, buttery soft? You put them on, this is indeed the case. They feel like butter. It's sort of crazy. And then no slip technology. So they're soft, they're buttery, but they don't slip up and down. You know, if you're going to church, if you're wearing dress socks for a business meeting, uh, sometimes you're like, man, these socks are slipping up and down. They don't. So premium uh, fabrics, they're made extremely well. They're really, really high quality. You should check those guys out. And here's the cool thing. Dead Soxy for our listeners, you get 10 bucks off uh, your first order. You can get $10, just write a checkout automatically. All you got to do is enter your email address. And so we've actually got a link on GamecockCentral.com in our chat. And I think I put it on the YouTube description today. Also, Wes, and you can, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to X-rate it. Um, no, but uh, yeah, check that out and check out our link. Make sure you See Dead Soxy's selection, men's and women's, get 10 bucks off by using our link. And we appreciate their support of the show as well. Yeah, I'm, uh, if y'all give me a second, I'm going to throw that link in here right now. Everybody loves free, free stuff. So, yeah, no um, doubt. Get $10 off a free 10 bucks. I'll take it. Um, all right, y'all, let's go out right now. Y'all know, y'all know this system is a little bit clunky. So, I'm going to go out right now. And we're going to go to Mark Passwaters, who joined me a little bit earlier today to chat about the Gamecocks and to tell us sort of about the Aggie perspective going into this game. By Mark Passwaters, AggieYell.com, part of the Rivals Network covering Texas A&M. Mark, uh, we were just talking a little off the air. Of how, how's everything going? Your, you know, y'all's way. I, I guess it's a little bit different for all of us this year, but um, still just uh, rolling along, I would guess. Well, it's, it's good when you've got a good football team to watch, and so far they have been. Outside of uh, an absolute clunker at Alabama, which apparently is not, uh, you know, <laughs> something unique to them, uh, it's it's been a good year, and they played their best football the last three games. And uh, they'll need to have that going when they go to, to to Columbia this weekend because, you know, in spite of the fact that A&M's won all those games, they've been tight. Yeah, it's been an interesting series. We were talking earlier this week, Chris Clark and I, and it's sort of like, for me, if you go into every single one of these games, and it's like A&M has always sort of been a, a favorite, uh, I think, since Muschamp has been here. But it's always sort of right around that touchdown favorite mark. You always go in. You sort of say A&M should win this game, but then Carolina always sort of finds a way to hang around. They make it just interestingly enough, and then A&M ends up sort of making enough plays to win in the end. So it, it has been kind of kind of strange that way. Yeah, it, it's one of those games where you walk into the press box in Columbia and you're like, okay, this is going to be nice and easy, and by the end you're sweating. You know, very, very seriously sweating it. And then last year – keeping all those things in mind, you walk into to Kyle Field and you're sweating it, and then a and blows them out. So, mm-hmm. you know, go figure. But I think that 
A&M would be wise to go in expecting a dogfight in this game, considering, you know, Carolina really needs a win. They've had a week off to prepare. And, you know, you're number seven. And what, what would be better for a team right now that did knock you out permanently from the, uh, the CFP hunt? Mark, so I, I'll start very, very broad. Tell us what do we need to know about this Texas A&M team? What has sort of been their MO so far? Like you said, a, a tough loss to Alabama. A little bit of a, um, I would say a little bit of a weird game, I guess, against Vandy. But for the most part, they've, they've sort of been rolling the last few weeks. Uh, what have we sort of learned about this group through five games of the season? Well, they're not your Kevin Sumlin Aggies, that's for sure. These guys are physical. Uh, they're tough. They don't quit. Uh, you know, and, and they do things that SEC teams are supposed to do. They run the football, and for the most part, they stop the run. One of the strange things last weekend against Arkansas was the fact that the Hogs ran on them pretty good. And you take a look at the games, even Alabama, the Tide did not run on AM. But I think that a lot of that had to do with the fact that Arkansas had that week off, and they basically completely changed their offense mm-hmm. to, to go against AM. And they did a great job with that. And that's one of the things that makes Arkansas interesting this year is Sam Pittman does a really good job and he does a lot on the fly. But, uh, you know, the Aggies have really established a strong running game. The offensive line, which has been not good the last several years, has been excellent this year. Maybe the nation's best. They've given up two sacks, and I think that's debatable because I think one of them was actually a run. Uh, But they have controlled the line of scrimmage against good defenses, and there have been plays in every game, at least the last three, where – you know, well, not plays, but series where they have sat there and said, said, okay, this is it. You're done. And they have just taken over the line of scrimmage. And it's been a series, you know, eight plays, nine plays where it's just all runs. And it's been Isaiah Spiller. It's been Anaya Smith. Now it's uh, Devin Achain, who is uh, an absolute speed merchant, but Florida, Mississippi state and Arkansas last weekend, they all three of those games were pretty much settled in this one series where the Aggie offensive line came out and said, no, you're finished and just took over the game. And that's something, you know, honestly, we haven't seen from the Aggie since RC Slocum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, if you're a Carolina fan watching this, you're sort of, you talked about sweating in the press box earlier, Carolina fans just started getting cold sweats after watching LSU sort of run up and down the field on South Carolina, took the air out of the ball early on in that game and just, established the run and, and that was it what what has been to your eyes the biggest difference for this offensive line I know you said they struggled some previous years what has maybe is it just I know they returned several guys has it been just getting comfortable another year in the weight program but what's the, been the biggest difference as far as the development of that unit from the last couple of years to now what they are you know this year well I think that it's a lot of things really you you nailed a couple right there you take a look at that offensive line and it returns four starters, uh, left tackle Dan Moore, left guard Kenyon Green, right guard Jared Hawker, right tackle Carson Green. All these guys played in the game last year. Ryan McCollum is the, the center, and he's a new guy as a redshirt senior with 17 career starts. So you're not talking about inexperience here. And they have just taken a, just a quantum leap forward. People thought they'd be better. Last year, they were absolutely abysmal in pass blocking they were they were 102nd in the league in sacks allowed or in the nation in sacks allowed 
This year, they're second. And the only team ahead of them is Air Force, who runs the triple option. So does that even count? Uh, you know, so you, you take a look at that, and they're just light years better. They're they're bigger, they're stronger. But I think the big thing is that they really have an understanding of what offensive line coach Josh Henson wants them to do. He was a first-year guy last year. I think there was a bit of a disconnect there. But these guys have really improved way beyond anything that I would have expected. And, uh, you know, that that's a positive thing for the Aggies, especially in the SEC, because this isn't this isn't a gimmick here. They're not winning games the way someone did, just throwing the ball around the place and and hoping to shoot shoot it out with people. They're they're taking the air out of the ball. They're running the clock. They're they're consistently running the football and pass blocking. And these are basic fundamental things which you absolutely need to win in this league. Can you talk to us a little bit about Kellen Mond now? I feel like um, making his 15th consecutive start against South Carolina, it feels like uh, he, he's been there forever now. I, I mean, I remember uh, seeing Mond as a freshman, and he comes in, he's this high-profile five-star guy, um, super flashy, and you sort of got the impression, you know, he's this dual-threat guy that can do so many different things. I get the impression, at least outside looking in, he's sort of settled into exactly what he's supposed to do within this offense. Looking at the numbers, 12 touchdowns. He's not turning the football over. Like you said, he's not taking sacks. Um, it, it just it, Is my sort of read on that correct, that he's just sort of settled into exactly what they're looking for from that position within this offense? Yeah, you nailed it. And, and just because he's been there since the first term of George W. Bush doesn't mean he's been on campus a long time. Uh, but yes, honestly, he is much, much improved. Uh, the biggest thing for Kellen Mond has never been uh, athletic ability or talent, like you pointed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's been really between the ears. You know, he has been indecisive. He's taken sacks that he shouldn't have because he refused to get rid of the ball. He hasn't taken off and run when he should have. This year, he's doing that. And you really saw that, uh, especially last weekend against Arkansas. You know, my, my biggest gripe with him has been when the opportunity is there to take off and run, you you have the talent to do it, do it. And there was no hesitation with that last weekend. If he saw an opportunity, he pulled the ball down and he went. And that kept drives alive, put them in, in third and short situations that they were able to convert. And he's just a lot smarter with his reads. He's getting the ball out quicker. You know, he said that he's, he trusts his eyes now. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I don't think that he did before. There was always that element of self-doubt, and maybe he's kind of shut that off. But there's no question that two of the best three games of his career have been Florida and Arkansas. You know, the Mississippi State game was okay, but they didn't really need him to do much. They just went out and beat him up on the ground. But if he continues to play the way that he did last weekend against Florida, then A&M is multidimensional and becomes very tough to stop. And what, what's your read sort of on the, the guys around him, the skill players? Obviously, you know, we, we know about Isaiah Spiller. We see the numbers being put up there. Um, at least statistically, you know, South Carolina has a passing game where it's sort of all shy Smith. It's one guy. Statistically, it looks like A&M has spread the ball around quite a bit. Several guys are in that sort of, uh, you know, 17, 18, 19 to 20 catch range. And um, then can you tell us about this young tight end? I mean, it seems like South Carolina has a stretch now. They're just playing NFL tight ends or future NFL tight ends every other week now. We saw the kid at LSU. Gilbert was really good. Pitts at Florida is amazing. And uh, 
now Texas A&M's guy looks pretty awesome as well. So what can you tell us about those skill guys? Well, we'll start with the tight end because you brought it up. Jalen Weidermeyer is special. You know, you, you go back a couple of years ago and, you know, one, one play that Carolina fans I'm sure don't want to talk about is Jay Sternberger going. going over the middle and carrying the, the secondary for 30 yards. This guy's bigger than Sternberger by about 20 pounds. And he's about as fast. He's got better footwork. You know, he just ate Arkansas alive last weekend. And they were double teaming him. They were playing zones that they were trying to to bait Mond into throwing. You went, okay, fine. Boom, here it is. And and they could not handle Widermark. And that's been a big element in their success. If Jimbo Fisher's offense is going to work, the tight end is going to be a key element. Uh, so you've got that. But I think the interesting thing for Carolina fans is going to be when J.C. Horn comes out Saturday and goes and covers a slot or he waits for a running back because mm-hmm. that's Anaya Smith, zero. And this kid is crazy. He uh, He's just a big play machine. He doesn't look like much. He's 5'10", a buck 90, something like that. He starts at running back, but he's the team's leading receiver. They cut him out in the slot. And last week, he had his first two – Two touches were touchdowns. One was a run. One was a, a catch. Uh, every nine touches, he scores. So he he's a machine. He's, he leads the team in, in receptions and yards. He's second in rushing. You know, he's just a lot of fun to watch. Chase Lane is a kid that's come on as one of the receivers. I think the biggest gripe I would have is they really need to develop another wide receiver. And we all mm-hmm. thought that was going to be five-star Demond Demas, and he hadn't done anything yet. Uh but they got uh, Hezekiah Jones back last week. He's a, a redshirt junior, hadn't played in virtually two years. And he came in and he was big on third downs, and that was clutch. Uh, but that's the thing they got to do. They got to find another outside receiver to kind of take some of this pressure off of Smith or Weidemeyer because a s- smart defensive coordinator is going to try to take one of those guys away. You're not going to take both. But if you can limit one of those, then you make life more difficult for Mond. Let's go to the defensive side. Um, obviously, well, I tell you, it sort of feels like, and maybe this is just because we're all the way out here. Um, I don't get to see as many Texas A&M games, maybe as I see some of the East teams, but it feels like maybe I these guys aren't quite as well known around the conference, but then you look at what they've been able to do defensively, and much like you sort of talked about on the offensive side, it's kind of like a – prototypical SEC defense you look there's several guys who can rush the passer you got a couple of very productive linebackers that'll hit you a safety that'll knock your head off and then you know Carolina Colin Hill the quarterback was saying you know these are some really athletic guys in the secondary so what um you see them every week what's sort of your evaluation of this defense so far and and sort of the mold that this defense is built in it's uh, again the classic SEC style run the ball stop the run that's Mm -hmm. what A&M is out to do they have a very big, very athletic defensive front. You take a look at guys, you, you know, you look at the depth chart and you're like, why is AM starting a 290-pound defensive end in DeMarvin Leal? Because he can move like he's 250. That's, mm-hmm. that's the difference. You're talking about a, a five-star, a unique talent. This kid's only a sophomore. He's just starting to really, you know, tap into his potential. So you got him on one end. Michael Clemens is a, a Juco kid they've had for a couple of years. They've been waiting for him to break out. He's second. He, you know, he's tied with Enigbare with four sacks, you know, second in the SEC. Uh, he's 270. Then you go into the middle, Jaden Peavy's 300. Bobby Brown's 335. 
They got a, a true freshman in McKinley Jackson who's played well. He's 335. You know, these guys are up there with the intention of stop the run first. And with the exception of last weekend, which is a, is a concern because you don't want to repeat, they've done that. Uh, you know, they held uh, Mississippi State to minus two yards. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's Mississippi State, and they, they don't run on anybody, but that's still very impressive. They, they outgained Alabama on the ground. They shut down Najee Harris. Nobody else has done that. Uh, Florida didn't run the ball. So, you know, th- that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to establish the front and then push back, and then Buddy Johnson has been the guy to, to be there to clean up the mess. The, the mm-hmm. linebacker, he's got 54 tackles. You know, his career high is 77. He might break that in two weeks. Yeah, he, he's well on his way to 100 tackles. Uh, you know, the, the linebacker play has been solid, fun, spectacular. They've had some problems with some some mental mistakes and, and missed tackles, and that's been A&M's biggest problem is, is missing tackles. They've missed a lot, especially in the secondary. It's led to some big plays. But the corners have been pretty good. Miles Jones is a guy that Carolina fans will recall because uh, Bentley went after him a lot two years ago. He came mm-hmm. in the game uh, after uh, I think it was Davion Renfro got ejected, and they immediately started trying to go deep on him with limited success. The other guy is Jalen Jones. He's a true freshman, another one of those five stars. Both of those guys have played pretty well. It's been the safeties that have been the disappointment. Damani Richardson and Leon O'Neal have been up and down. Guys have gotten in the middle of the field, beaten them deep, a lot of missed assignments. But, of course, when you play Florida and Alabama, they're going to get you. There's there's no two ways about that. Against mere mortals, they're giving up 16 points a game, and that's, I think, where they want to be. And, uh, you know, I think the big thing tomorrow for them is going to be can you, or not tomorrow, but Saturday will be, can you stop those big running backs for Carolina? And if Colin Hill has to throw, you know, with 16 sacks already and A&M's got 10 in the last two games, you know, I don't think that's where USC wants to be. So um, I feel like I've heard the phrase, uh, the path, the path to victory um, and other things in life for the last two days. So tell, tell us a, a path for, if you're South Carolina, if you're on this end of things, where where's a path for South Carolina to win this game? I, I would say in terms of if if you have a concern about A and M from what you've seen so far, what would be your biggest one or two things where you say that, that could be an area to watch uh, from from a South Carolina end? Uh, running the ball enough to to get Hill some time so they can hit some big plays deep. I know that that's been something they haven't really had a lot of success with yet. But Shai Smith's a really good wideout. Mm-hmm. There, there are guys there with potential, and you know, shoot, this could be a time when they're just like, okay, we got to turn you loose, go do something. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can do that, then that's you know, A and M has given up some big plays deep, and that's something that should be a concern for the Aggies. The other is turnovers. You know, if if A and M turns the ball over, they give up points. It's pretty simple, and that's something that they have avoided the last few weeks. But you take a look at it; the one turnover they've had was a pick six mm-hmm. against Mississippi State. And that that's something that they just ha- absolutely have to avoid. If they can hold on to the football, they can run the ball, and they can slow down Harris, then A&M's in good shape. But if Carolina, in turn, can run the ball and then get Hill some time and they can hit some plays deep, then it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, and we'll see how those things play out Saturday night, williams Bryce Stadium. And um, 
I, I am. There's one other thing I was curious about. How how has A and M been in the red zone, both offensively, defensively? That that's a thing that we focus on that a lot here because South Carolina has been one of those teams that uh, they've they've actually been really good in the red zone offensively. Defensively, when they've been good, you know that's when they sort of hang around in games, and um, when they haven't, you know LSU when when they let teams score touchdowns down there, that, that's when they sort of get you know blown out. Well, A&M on the plus side was very good in the red zone last weekend against Arkansas. Mm-hmm. They got in there four times, four touchdowns. You know, they scored on six straight drives, so there's there's not much to complain about. But on the other hand, if you get inside the 20 against A&M, you're probably going to score. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're giving up 93% or now almost 94% scoring in inside the, you know if you get inside the 20 the trick is getting inside the 20 once you do that you're in good shape but so that, that's one of the reasons that I, I say turnovers is a big deal you don't want to give them short fields if somebody gets it in close they're going to punch it in and I think that is a big source of frustration you know with Mike Elko and this defense is if if somebody does get it down close they're getting it in the end zone mm-hmm. great stuff Mark uh, if our viewers our listeners want to check you out uh, it's aggieyell.com y'all go check out the texas a&m side of things and uh, read read up on the team before saturday uh, mark you got any final thoughts on the game uh wish i was going to be there you know i always love coming over to carolina and uh you know darn you covid19 because yeah. you know that, that kills a family trip but uh you know i i obviously hoping for an a&m win but more importantly i just really don't want to sweat one <laughs> yeah yeah, it should be interesting. We'll see. We'll see what happens Saturday. And I think you're right, man. I mean, it's all going to come down to the running game, I think, on both sides because for Carolina, they've had to have that. When they've had that, it has opened up some other things. When they have not, um, you saw it against LSU, pass rush gets there pretty quick when the opponent does not have to worry about the running game. And as you've said, A&M has been really good at getting to the passer. So it's not it's not really hard to sort of – look into the crystal ball and see what could happen if Carolina cannot run the football and if they can't stop the run on defense. So we'll see Saturday night, Williams Bryce Stadium, all your great coverage on AggieYell.com and GamecockCentral.com. Mark, we appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, take care. And there you have it, Mark Passwaters, talking a little Gamecocks versus Aggies. I got to ask first before we get back into the game, Chris, do you get a little – Frank Caliendo vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark. Like, you should have brought I, that up to Mark. Well, I, I, I don't really know him like that. And I was sitting there the whole time. I was like, man, this guy reminds me of somebody. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. Chris ditched me on the interview. And so <laughs> I, I was sitting there like, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to bring it up. But I was like, this guy, well, at first I was trying to figure out who he reminded me of. And then at first I thought John Madden. Then I was like, no, no, no. It's Frank Caliendo as John Madden that there is you go. in my head. So I, uh, am I, am I on, onto something there? No, I, yeah, I can definitely see that. I, I would say more Caliendo than, than Caliendo is Madden. Right. Okay. That would yeah. be, be where I would fall on that. Frank Caliendo would be a great guest on GC live open invite. If he's listening, I'm sure he is. Yeah, that that would be great. Um, Come on, do some Lou Holtz impressions and things of that nature. Yeah, although there there's some former Gamecocks man that that have some outstanding 
Lou, if, if we wanted to have a Lou Holtz impression battle. Oh, yes. Yeah. Courtney Levitt. I was about to say, Court, Courtney who, Levitt's. Who else, who else does one? I don't know if I've heard any other ones. I think Kimry has one. Kimry does have one. It's really good. Kimry does. Uh, he also does a Brad Lawing that's pretty funny. Oh man! You remember his Brad Lawing? We could have, we could have him as Brad Lawing. Yeah. You as Lance Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> Me as Eric Wolford, yep. and um, Courtney as Lou Holtz as our guest. That, that's an off-season show right table there. Right there. That yeah. will do. Yeah, yeah. That that would be awesome. I, I think Kimry had a lawing on this past week, so we'll, we'll give him a little free plug there. Go check out the fade in. Always good when he gets Brad Long on there talking about the good old days of Cruton at South Carolina and, and elsewhere. So yeah. anyway, man, I mean, so somebody on here said, uh, who was it? Somebody said this guy is uh, a bit of a homer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he. You can tell Mark is very dialed in with A and M. I mean, we. Some people probably think we're homers too, man. I mean, when you when you're following a team very closely, you obviously look at everything through the prism of of that team, you know, of that program. But they they they've got some dudes, you know. I mean, I think you look across the board. <clears throat> there's not really a lot of just clear weaknesses with this Aggie team. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, if you want to start to get deeper and say where are there some possible areas South Carolina could exploit, I think you know you listen to him sort sort of a, a little bit in the same range of something I was talking about earlier this week, and I didn't realize they'd had such trouble with missed tackles in the secondary. I, I know. Their their defensive backs are, are pretty highly regarded coming in. The uh, the Richardson kid I think is the safety. I'm I'm terrible with unless it's a high profile guy. I'll remember numbers like if I'm watching a team in yeah. preparation, I'll remember numbers, but I I forget names unless it's like a marquee dude. But Richardson, their safety, he he wasn't as high on his play. He said he's been up or down. PFF from what I saw was has been pretty high on that kid, I think. So I think if you're South Carolina, we, we all know it, it doesn't – you can take a random person off the streets and say break down this game, and they can very easily, and it would be accurate, say running game, both for Carolina offensively and Carolina defensively. Key, keys to this game. That's very easy. But then I think the question becomes, where does Carolina attack off of that? If they can run the football, where we, we know Mike Bobo is going to look for matchups. Where can you find some match, matchup issues? Apparently there have been some big plays in the secondary. I talked about how their linebackers, um, particularly the buddy kid, has been picked on a little bit in the passing game. Mm-hmm. So you add that in with possibly some up and down play from safety, at least in Mark's opinion. And that tells me right now that's screaming vertically down the seam, attack them in that area, 
you know, sort of behind the linebackers and in front of the safeties and in that seam area where a lot of times, you know, in zone defenses, you have some holes there. And if South Carolina can establish the run and force those linebackers up to respect the run, then it opens up those areas that we're talking about. And then that that's when it's on, you know, a Nick Muse, Kevion Mullins, if he can play, maybe even some of these other tight ends to, to step in there and, and make some plays for South Carolina. But that would be something I would keep an eye on from a South Carolina perspective of how you could maybe attack these guys. And that's why it's so important for South Carolina to be able to run the ball. You know, it's so easy. Like I think you said it the other day, a lot of times these, these keys that we give and, and these things that we talk about that South Carolina has to do to win, sometimes they're very similar in every game. But for South Carolina, one of their keys every week is going to be run the ball. You know, it's and and until they prove that they can, it's going to be stop the run defensively, right? But mm-hmm. the reason that running the football is so important for South Carolina is because that is the only thing that this team has done consistently for basically the entire year. And so that's why it's critical for them to do that, to stay in a game. You know, all what, yeah, I mean, you go into any game, any team against any opponent, and you can say run the ball, and you'd be pretty accurate as a key, right? Unless you're, you know, I don't know, running the air raid or something, and that hasn't worked out as well this year for Mike Leach in Mississippi State. But um, it's really important in this game because A and M is good at rushing the passer. When they get into some situations where they can tee off, they've shown that they can sack the quarterback. South Carolina has shown some vulnerabilities there whether it's the offensive line or the backs and the tight ends or the quarterback holding the ball too long, but they have been vulnerable just overall. Um, And what the other reason you said, I guess the third component to it is that that is maybe the vulnerability of this A&M team is like you said, down the seams, matching up linebackers, maybe getting safeties out of position. So we know that Mike Bobo's got play action concepts off of basically anything that they run. So if, you're making the defense cheat up. If they're devoting extra guys to stopping the run, um, then you're going to have even more opportunities there, whether it's just in the straight passing game or play action concepts to hurt them, to, to hit them on some big plays. Now the issue for South Carolina is because their running games been not really the only consistent aspect, obviously A&M knows that going in. So Mike Elko, their defensive coordinator and their team, they're going to be gearing up to stop the run. Um, so that puts the onus on South Carolina to either counter that by backing them off, by passing the ball successfully with some other concepts, or just Mike Bobo getting creative and finding ways to run the ball. He's proven that he can do that. After game one, we knew, and, and especially game two, we knew Mike Bobo is going to run the football. So every team's gone in and known it as well, and they've still done it pretty well, and that's without an explosive passing game. So – the key is, can they continue that? And then, like you said, red zone play, I think, on both sides of the ball is going to be critical. I wouldn't make – I wouldn't sit here and say, okay – and I know you're not saying that, but nobody listening needs to come away saying, oh, well, they're linebackers and their safeties. Yeah, definite huge liability back there. Keep in mind, too, of the teams they played, Florida and Alabama, really good skill guys, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're going to make any defense at times look bad. South Carolina doesn't have that type of explosion, you know, at the skill position. So that's why I think running the ball is so critical. Yeah, yeah and, and I think, I think your point, your point it, it's kind of like, uh, for me, 
there there are there are no clear weaknesses right now with this A and M team. So then it sort of becomes okay, where where can you find a path? Where can you find something that you maybe can exploit? And then if you do, it, it maybe opens up some other things for you. So I think we'll see. Um, Antonio asked, is the A&M defense overly aggressive? Um, I haven't watched enough of them from like a scheme standpoint on defense to really say. Uh, I do know they're pretty aggressive from a pass rush standpoint, just from a mindset standpoint. I mean, they're going to get after you. But they they stop the run really for the most part against most teams and then put themselves in a position where they can gear towards rushing the passer and getting after the quarterback and stuff like that. Now, I will say, interestingly enough, Arkansas, if you're South Carolina, you're watching what Arkansas was able to do in the running game. Mark mentioned it a couple times. Arkansas was able to run the football with them. They were able to run the ball with their backs, and they actually got Felipe Franks, who we're all familiar with from his time at Florida, not the most athletic guy, not a run-first guy, but can, can do it, can run the football. They got him involved early on in that game in the QB running game. Obviously, that's not going to be much of what South Carolina does with Colin Hill, but sort of speaks to the idea of do you get Luke Doty more involved potentially in this game? We'll see, and we'll see. I mean, it's always a chess match because clearly South Carolina, they watch the tape of every game their opponent has played this year. Well, A&M will watch that same tape and say, what did Arkansas do to us? And they'll try to clean that up. So what Arkansas did may be available to South Carolina. It may not be. Um, you know, it, it may be that Arkansas had some advantages at certain spots that may, maybe weren't sure about. Pittman um, at, at Arkansas, I think, does a really good job, you know, obviously with offensive line, with with his background. And, and you know, you look at, at Browles over there. He He's very well respected. So could you – maybe look at that game plan and take a little bit away from that potentially, but you never know if it's something from an athletic and matchup standpoint that your group can sort of emulate or or not. So we'll find all that out on Saturday. Let's see if we have a few more questions here, Chris. Um, Don't see – Craig says, how many times did he say five-star? They have a ton of them. Uh, I know, Chris, you you have – you have your star power today. How how does the star power sort of match up? Yeah, I mean, A&M has more. I mean, Craig's exactly right. You know, when you look at how many five stars are on their team, uh, they certainly have more than South Carolina. If you're, if you're just matching it up, stacking it up, which is the point of that piece, they definitely have more. I mean, Kellen Mond, you know, is a former five star. Well, they got a lot of four stars on there. Um, a bunch of their starters are. Let me go through here and look real quick. I mean, they have – their offensive line is actually – you know, they got one five-star and then some other just sort of mid-range three-star type guys. But um, then you, you go over to the secondary, Jalen Jones, who's a freshman out of Texas from the 2020 class who plays for them. You know, he was a five-star. But, yeah, I mean, they got a few five-stars in that mix. They got some four-stars in that mix, you know, more fours than fives. Uh, but certainly they're they're impressive, you know, with what they've got. Uh, McKinley Jackson, you know, another 2020 guy as a freshman. He was a top 100 player. DeMarvin Leal, who is uh, the big, you know, 290-pounder that Mark talked about. You know, he was a he was a top 10 recruit in the 2019 class and a five-star. So, certainly they've got some national-level guys 
uh, coming out of high school that are on that roster who are still young as well. Yeah, you uh, – I mean, they, they've – I mean, you go back to um, previously before Jimbo even got there, man. I yeah. mean, they've, they've recruited guys on paper yeah. very, very well. So – they they've always had talent, and, and again, it's it's just it's been interesting. It, like I, like I said to Mark, man, you go into this game, and you know Mark sort of said A and M blew South Carolina out last year, but you look at the score, and really the way the game played out, it never felt like South Carolina was in that game, but it, it was thirteen to three going into the fourth quarter, so it, it was kind of a situation where they were able to hang around. And in this game, the last really five years, South Carolina has hung around against Texas A&M. So we'll see if that remains the case this weekend or not. And I, I, don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, I think a little bit of recruiting worth mentioning here, Chris, and that being South Carolina with a very intriguing offer to John Staten, a uh, linebacker, grad transfer, originally from the Atlanta area, and a kid that – has already entered the transfer portal from Samford. He was an FCS All-American there. First team All-SOCON. 116 sacks last year. Golly, 116 sacks? 116 tackles last year. Yeah, that uh, the water boy. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 116 tackles. Thank you. Um, yep, no problem. But I think, I think this is a uh, – this, this may be a trend – I think we're going to see Chris because there's going to there's a there's going to be a lot of dudes at every level that all of a sudden have one more year of eligibility mm-hmm. the way things went this year. So I think around the SEC certainly at South Carolina you're going to see the transfer portal particularly you know if if guys are eligible to come in as a grad transfer, or they're eligible to come in and play right away anyway, depending on what the NCAA does with the one, one-time one transfer thing, I think you're going to see more and more of this at positions of need for South Carolina. You know, reading between the lines, maybe the linebacker position. Certainly, wide receiver would make a lot of sense. I think that's something maybe we can start to anticipate moving forward. Yeah, something that we've – you know, already heard, didn't hear linebacker specifically, but it's not surprising. Um, we did hear, you know, Wes, wide receiver is one that you can watch for the future for obvious reasons, you know, and um, the portal, I think, is going to be pretty significant for South Carolina next year. As you said, you know, n- not only the current climate of the portal, you know, sort of being this thing out there that more prospects have taken advantage of. And, and I think it did slow down because some prospects got in the portal and got a little bit stuck there. Right. Um, but it's going to be even bigger now and going into next season because of, of this eligibility ruling that the NCAA gave basically giving everybody a free year, there's going to be some guys that might look around and say, you know, I want to go play in the sec. Um, and so South Carolina is obviously going to have a tremendous opportunity for receivers. So if they can sell that, and find some guys that can help and get them eligible, um, then that's certainly something that I, they're definitely looking. You know, they're, they're definitely going to be open to that. And we heard that, you know, prior to last season, we knew that South Carolina was going to eye a grad transfer running back if one came about that made sense that they could get. And then Tavian Feaster dropped in the transfer portal, and 
and they were able to go get him. And certainly he did some good things. So anticipate the same, you know, at receiver linebacker, you look at Staten, which I didn't know until I looked last night, he was originally a walk-on at Samford West. So he's really worked his way up from a walk-on at Samford to, um, you know, an all American, uh, a tie there to Will Muschamp, uh, Staten's former coach there at Samford is Chris Hatcher, who Muschamp coached under at Valdosta State. So some obvious ties there. I wonder if North Carolina will get involved. Not sure how much of a need they have, but uh, Staten's got a lot of family ties to UNC. I think both parents went there and a, and another family member as well. So we'll see, um, but definitely a storyline to continue watching and going forward in terms of <clears throat> Cartwright asked about uniforms. I would anticipate, I guess, South Carolina will put out the battle armor video today, but I would anticipate uh, white helmets, garnet jersey, and white pants. So, classic look for the Gamecocks this week. And, uh, Chris, uh, you want to tell everybody real quick about how they can come hang out with us tomorrow afternoon, Friday afternoon, at Angry Fish Brewing in Lexington. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Going out there to do it. a happy hour with Kenny and the guys Angry Fish, 106 Faberster Lane, F-A-B-R-I-S-T-E-R, Lane in Lexington. Just turn right off the main highway there on the right and go down a little bit, Unit C. Uh, indoor and outdoor seating. Wes and I will be there for an hour or so at 4.30 to 5.30. So come out uh, locally sourced and brewed craft brews. Uh, they are outstanding. Um, they're also going to have their Angry Eats grill and smoke food truck out there later in the evening not at 4 30 but a little bit later if you want to come hang out come meet us come talk come enjoy yourself inside or outside at angry fish gamecock fans and great guys yep so we're looking forward to that um real quick somebody asked tyon evans any chance at him for south carolina for everything i've heard i don't really anticipate much happening there so um, we'll see, but I, I don't think Evans will end up at South Carolina. That's going to do it for this show, but we'll be back on tomorrow at Angry Fish. Hopefully we'll see y'all either on the YouTube channel or out there in person. Love to meet some of y'all, and uh, we'll have a good time of it. It'll be great. Uh, for Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you tomorrow. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and 
Vermont, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 5332 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.